Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Denise, hey, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Dennis. I'm so glad to be here and to be with you again, having gone back as far as our careers at Electronic Data Systems EDS together. So glad to be here. Awesome. Hey, great. Thank you. Hey, so Denise, I've just done a quick introduction um, about you. So why don't you share a little bit more about your background? Sure, Dennis, I'd be happy to. And I just wanted to mention how nice it is to be back in your company again, having had a history together when we both worked at Electronic Data Systems. So my career began as a secondary English teacher and history teacher when I first graduated from university. And then I was able to stay home for a couple of years when I had my children. When it was time to go back to the workplace, that's when corporate training was becoming a career option. And so I decided to take that option and explore the corporate realm. And at that point, I became a global trainer for the first Xerox Corporation and then Electronic Data Systems when we became the outsourcing provider for Xerox. I was in that role as a trainer for EDS for several years. And at that time, I also helped establish the Women at EDS program, which was a global entity. And I um, was able to continue that role once we were purchased by Hewlett Packard and I stepped into a management of global trainers role for HP. I not only had the lead role of the Women at HP network, I also was responsible for developing their first ever Employee Network Council, where we awarded awards to those people who were very active as volunteers in the employee networks. And we also gave a a number of grants to community groups. That's where my love for diversity and inclusion began. Flash forward to 2015, when I was able to join Atos Corporation, first as a trainer, and then I moved into the North America Diversity Officer role. From there, I moved quickly into the global diversity officer role, which I have been in now for a little over three years. And I would, you know, say that it's been an exciting journey, um, a journey with many twists and turns. But I was always able to fall back on those transferable skills that I developed at a younger age. And I'm thrilled to be where I'm at now and feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world. Excellent. Wow. That sounds like a really, really cool uh role that you've had and journey, so which is really good. Yeah, it's it's been wonderful. Denise, um, here's a question for you, and that is, uh, who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? So when I first looked at these questions, I was really excited by this one because 
this has been a person I've greatly admired ever since I was a child and first had to start doing those biography assignments in school. And the person I'm very much in admiration of is Eleanor Roosevelt. There's a lot of reasons for that. She's been called all kinds of different things through the years, but President Truman said it very well when he called her the first lady of the world. She really had a lifelong passion for humanitarian efforts and was really very instrumental in helping the UN get its start. The legacy of her words and her work appears in the constitutions across many different nations. And still, her, her you know, presence is felt in some international laws that protect the rights of men and women across the world. I was fascinated by her story, you know, as the wife of FDR during the very critical years in the United States where this country needed strong leaders. And the fact that she started the first radio broadcast as a first lady for the women of the United States during the Depression, offering them really practical advice on how they could become more financially solvent. And just that very stepping forward, stepping out, stepping out of her comfort zone is something I've always really admired. And I have one quote of hers that kind of became my mantra. Do what you feel in your heart to be right, for you'll be criticized anyways. And so I think that's, you know, a little act of bravery that all of us can take some, you know, lessons from and try to apply when we find ourselves in those situations where we're afraid to take that next step forward. Yeah, so many people are afraid to take their next step forward. And I think it's just a beautiful quote because, I mean, a lot of people are afraid to take their next step because of what might other people say or being criticized or the fear. And you're right. I mean, I think that's, that's something whereby what they quote, what she's saying is that it doesn't matter. Just, just go. You're gonna. You, you're, people are gonna say things anyhow. So just go and do it. And I think mm-hmm. that is that is a that is a perfect quote um, to sort of start things off. So the show is called Leadership Is Changing. When we when I say that term, what what does that um, that term mean for you? Boy, it means so many different things. Uh-huh. You know, I work in the tech space, and so it's about the fourth industrial revolution the blurring of boundaries between physical, digital, biological worlds. It's 3D printing, it's genetic engineering, it's quantum computing, it's AI, it's, you know, decarbonization, it's the pace of change. And Mm. so it's all of these things. But it's also um, having faith and having hope and marshalling the troops, so to speak, and pulling people together so that there is a process around change, there is a communication channel within change, and that people are included instead of excluded in the decisions that are going to be made that affect how they work, where they work, why they work. You know, we've got five generations, four major races in the world, 195 countries make up this planet, 5,000 plus different ethnic groups, nine time zones, you know, and we all should have one goal when it comes to leadership. And that's leading the people effectively and making sure we keep them apprised of what's going on at all steps. Yeah, uh, uh, nice. And when you say keep them apprised uh, of each of the steps, what do you mean? What, what, what do leaders have to do? To enable that? Well, it first starts with, you know, being as transparent as they possibly can and keeping the lines of communication open. It's using your IQ to show more EQ and making sure that people realize that you are, quote unquote, in the trenches with them going forward with the changes that are taking place. 
It's letting them know who they can turn to for support, what the websites are that they need to access the information from, which group of five is going to go first in this process, when will training take place, what resources will be available to them on the first day they log into this new tool, or whatever it is that shapes this change that they're dealing with. It's being inclusive. You know, you talk about diversity and inclusion. You can be a company that's very diverse, you know, having all of the right people in the right places from different backgrounds, different walks of life, ethnicities, races, creeds, et cetera. But that doesn't mean you're inclusive. That doesn't mean those people come into the office knowing that they're valued for what they do, that they are accepted for who they are, and that they have equal opportunities to thrive. And as a leader, unless you're providing that foundational safety net, so to speak, Nobody's going to be comfortable with anything that's happening. And so you really have to always have that at the forefront of what you do. And do you you feel that, uh, in your opinion, watching leaders around the world in different organizations, we we talk about diversity and inclusion. Diversity seems to get a lot of sort of press, if I can put it that way. The inclusion, I I think, sometimes gets forgotten or it's sort of because it's always the DNI. And it's sort of the eye sort of gets left behind. Is, is that what your thoughts and your, your experience has been? And, and what can we do around that? Such a great question. And one that is becoming more and more important, as you point out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We started off, you know, with best of intentions in every entity across the world that we were going to become more diverse. Hmm. But again, that didn't mean we were going to be. We were focusing on that inclusive piece so that people feel like they belong Sometimes these roles are called diversity, inclusion, and belonging, diversity and inclusion and equity. So you kind of get the gist of where I'm going here, that we have had to make a shift over the past few years from saying, yeah, we have sexual harassment training. Yeah, we have anti-discrimination training. And that's our diversity program. Well, you and I both know that that's not going to be enough, no matter what the company is that says these, Mm. these things. So it's getting beyond the checkbox to making sure that as people are being interviewed and screened for interviews that we're taking into consideration that we want our employee base to be a reflection of what society looks like. When I walk down the sidewalk, I don't know about you, if I look around, I don't see people who look exactly like me from my exact age group wearing the exact same kind of clothes as I am. I see very different people around me. And that's what we need to have more of in the workplace. And, you know, this is the first time in the history of the working world where we actually have five generations in the same building at the same time. So we have to be representative of the generational balance. We want to be representative of the gender balance and people of color and people of all different walks of life and leadership roles. And that's what's been changing over these past five to 10 years, wherein leaders are having to pull their thoughts together around what it means to be an inclusive leader, what it means to provide equitable opportunities, and what it means for them and for their teams and for the company if they are able to pay attention to all of this and hire the right people at the right time. When you, when you talk about the five generations in the building right now, you know, this is sort of really quite interesting to hear that. Mm-hmm. When you say the five generations in the building right now, all those generations will, will want things different from leadership. So in general, though, what do you think they want in leadership? They want that opportunity to be heard and to be respected and to have the chance to stretch themselves. They want a leader who will, 
you know, really make them aware of what the team metrics are that they should be living up to and keep them informed as to where they stand within the team hierarchy. Mm. They also want a leader who is going to go to bat for them, you know, speak for their for them and be on their behalf when there's opportunities for advancement or for additional learning programs that have to be nominated by a leader. And then obviously they want to make sure that that leader is paying attention to what they have done successfully and celebrating it. You know, too often someone goes the extra mile and yet nothing is ever said about it. And that's such a deflating thing for an individual. It makes them feel like, why did I do all that? Why did I stay here late or come in early or, you know, work over the weekend when nobody even acknowledged what I did? So leaders have to be willing and able to praise when it's right, to give considerate amounts of feedback that were not necessarily required in generations previously, and to really keep that line of communication open so that their people really know that the open door policy, which has been touted for what, the last 30 years, is mm. a reality. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I think the, the, the big thing I, I'm hearing is, is that recognition or that celebrating even success for, at times. And I don't know, I don't think it costs leaders much to actually recognize somebody, just a few words to say, well done, or, you know, recognize them and maybe in front of their peers, in front of others, uh, if not just on a one-on-one basis, but it doesn't cost mm-hmm. anything. But then again, you know, leaders sort of struggle to do it. They're on to the next thing that I've got to get on with, another project and we just got to get on with things, right? And it's just like, well, hang on a sec. Can we just take some stock and do some celebration here and recognize people? Because that has massive weight in helping people move forward. Oh, absolutely. And we all have read the articles where it talks about how a person who feels appreciated always goes above and beyond. And when you acknowledge their knowledge and their experience and their efforts, they become your ally. And then when change does have to take place within the organization, they'll be on your side of the change instead of one of those naysayers because you have shown them that you respect them and they respect you in turn. Sure. I've lived in Dallas for the last 24 years, but I think as most people will be able to tell, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in the the north of England and started my my career as a consultant uh, with Bain & Company, moved to Dallas in uh, in 1996, which seems like an awful long time ago. And uh, after a couple of small startup companies after that, I went to work for EDS, which is which is how we met, and then left there about 10 years ago after the acquisition by HP and started my own consulting company. I, I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I wanted to be accountable for the results that I delivered and the decisions that I made. And so I started a company called Consento. Given my British background, obviously it ends with RE rather than ER. And then I, I also am a, uh, a part owner in a, an eco-friendly dry cleaner in Austin called EcoClean. And I love the, the, the combination of those two businesses. I learned from both of them uh, pretty much every day. Yeah, great. And, and so what was it like for you to leave the corporate world, if I can put it that way, to even still be in the corporate world, but go into your own business or businesses as you just shared there? What was that transition like for you? It's a while ago now, but it, it was, I think it was, it was a little scary at the time. This was in late 2009, early 2010. The, you know, the economy was still coming back, but there were, there were still question marks over how it was going. And I was stepping out on my own. I think that the, 
The thing that was helpful for me early on was finding a great client, even though it was uh, the relationship to begin with was small. It was something that we could build on. And, and I felt like I was part of a larger, a larger team, even though I was uh, working with a couple of other consultants and, and we were relatively small at that point. It, it felt like I had the, the, the best of being a part of a, a large organization and being able to make change on that kind of scale, whilst also having a smaller, more, more focused team that, uh, that worked together. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there is times right now where people are going through a lot of change in the sense that they, they, you know, with the pandemics and so forth, a lot of people were maybe losing their jobs and then they may be thinking going out and starting their own, their own business, going from a, from a role that they might have today, or maybe even adapting from the business they're doing today to another business. So I think that that feeling of uncomfortable and a little bit of a change is, is, is really quite interesting and in what, and the journey that they'll go through. I don't know. Do you have any tips for people who might be going through that kind of transition and thoughts at all? I know, I know that's, you know, I'm not sure. But do you have any tips at all? Yeah, I think maybe two things, Dennis. One is that early on, we never focused as much as we should have, uh, whether oh. that's on a specific uh, type of consulting or a specific industry. And it's something that we've come back around on later on to be to be much clearer on what it is that we do and why it is that you should uh, you should buy from us, uh, and and that's that's been a, a it's been worth the investment within my team, but it was something that we should have done very early on. And the other is, uh, and I'm forgetting who told me this, but they talked about uh, for an entrepreneur you need to have a combination of hunger and fear, right? And I've found that whenever I lose one of those, that, that there's trouble around the corner. If, if I don't have enough hunger, if I don't have enough fear, then things are not likely to end up the way that, uh, that I want them to. And so having a balance of that hunger and fear for me is, is a way that, that it, it drives me forward every morning. Nice. So have a clarity around the niche that you're looking at or the area, the people that you're actually going to serve. Why would they buy off you is one thing. And number two is having that balance or the combination between hunger and fear. And if you don't have one of those, then you probably become a little bit complacent maybe or an autopilot, as I call it, and sort of tend to not sort of be out there on a daily basis doing what you might need to do. Yeah, there, there, was, there have been times when I've lost the fear and to the outside world, it looks like everything is going really, really well. Uh, there's incredible success. And and it's it's caused me occasionally to take my eye off the ball, and and that's when the that's when the bad stuff happens. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, Kevin, that's awesome. Um, hey, team uh, listeners, we're here with Kevin Bonfield, who's uh, sharing some of his, his insights and wisdom and experiences around being a leader, going from a large corporate role into uh, his own businesses as well. Kevin, who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history, but who is your favorite leader and why? So this to me is actually an incredibly challenging question. And I'm, I, I, because I've worked for what I think are some fantastic leaders. And uh, let's just say I've worked for some not fantastic leaders as well. And then being a consultant, I, I get to see it almost from a displaced perspective. So I, I think I have a fairly well-tuned view of it. But as a result, I'm not going to go with anybody who, who I've worked with or, or who is alive today. The person that whose leadership I find incredible is a Polish guy named uh, Witold Pilecki, 
And there's, uh, his story was lost for decades, and it's only really come back up over the last couple of years. There's a book called The Auschwitz Volunteer, and he was a member of the Polish army, and he volunteered to go into Auschwitz to basically start the revolution from within, uh, from within the camp. And his, and when he came out, he wrote a book, and it was basically kind of a report out to his superiors who didn't believe him because it was so incredible, lost the book, and it was only recently that it, that it came back to light. But to me, there's, there's, this, there's a story he tells where he, it, he is so cold and wet, and he's in the middle of the, the grounds. He's in a terrible position, right? But he's found his purpose in life. He's found where he's supposed to be. And he's working with the people that he needs to work with to both help them survive, but then also to uh, give them purpose as well. And, and I just think that that, that combination of uh, having a vision, uh, being clear on his purpose, making an impact and doing it in a place where there's no formal structures where people have to listen to him. He's having to do this all with the 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 strength of his personality and his persuasion. And if it goes wrong, then he's likely to die. I think that he is one of the most incredible leaders that, that, that I have come to know. Yeah, sounds like a very committed leader who had a vision, clear on his purpose, but also making that impact. And uh, yeah, what a wonderful leader. That sounds like um, going out there and putting things out for, you know, on the line and he could have ended up uh, not... Mm. not surviving and so yeah really interesting so wonderful i mean really interesting how that books come out and again will come out now because it was lost and so um yeah so what's the title of the book again the one that i've read is the auschwitz volunteer i think that there's a follow-up that's coming the auschwitz volunteer is very much just his report out i think yeah. that there's a follow-up that that is more about his life but uh yeah the 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 one that the one that i've read is the auschwitz volunteer and it's 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 a fantastic book just in its rawness, yeah. right? Because it's him talking. Yes. Yeah, 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 no, great. I actually thought you were going to talk about a cricket player, you know, an English cricket player, and I thought, oh, lucky you didn't mention that. So, <laughs> so I thought that was all good. Hey, um, Kevin, the, the, the name of the show is Leadership is Changing. And well, what is, when I, when I say that statement, what, what does that mean for you? You know, I, I was listening to one of your earlier sessions, Dennis, uh, with, with Vince Molinaro, and this part of the conversation of is leadership changing or how is leadership changing? And I, and I, you know, my first thing as I was thinking about this is, well, is it really changing? And maybe I have a, a slightly different perspective on it, but I'm not sure that the core elements of what makes a great leader are changing. And we can talk about what I think those are. I, I, I don't have, I don't have a fully baked view of that that's uh, that's unimpeachable. But I think that some of the core elements around being able to uh, provide a vision, uh, understand people and their motivations and build a team around you as a result, inspire people and hold them accountable, and then for the leader to be accountable themselves. I don't think that those things have changed. And I'm not sure that those things are going to change uh, in the future, because I think that those are those are the the skills of a leader that they need to apply to whichever uh, situation they find themselves in. But I do think that what's going on in the world today, you know, from be before the, the the COVID coronavirus uh, pandemic, which is going on, the, the the rate of change from from technology and globalization and communications has led to 
those leadership skills being much more important to be on display consistently. And then more recently, the ability to to provide that when you've got a, a team that's not in the room, is remote, and you're having to make decisions at a speed that you're not used to. I think it's just uh, uncovering who are the better leaders uh, out there rather than changing the things that we're expecting to see from leaders. Yeah. So the basic elements are still there. The core elements, as you're calling it, are still there. The But the rate of change, the way things are, it's, it's almost like you know, how you do something in life and then it will be magnified in the sense that because of, as you say, the rate of change is happening so far, the rate that speed it's happening. That Right. And 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 going back to your words here, it's it's whereby this is where the the real good leaders are actually being shown and, and are having uh, are actually being sort of magnified, if I can put it that way, where if you're not and you're not doing those core items really well. You're not. You're going to be in trouble. So, Kevin, does that actually have an effect as well on on the organisation and the team if that leader is not stepping up? Uh, I, look, I think it does because if there's one thing that we need as as we're going through the the, the phase the, uh, mm-hmm. that we're going through now, it's it's something or someone to believe in uh, that there's that there's a better day on the back end of it. And if you don't have that, I I think it's much more challenging to get up in the morning and. Uh, and go work for other people or for for the larger cause if you don't have that vision. Yeah, people are looking for a leader that's very strong or they they, they can actually latch on to and follow that leader um, in times mm-hmm. like this even more so than other times. And uh, yeah, so they, they are looking for those leaders indeed. Very interesting times. And, and I don't think that people are looking for leaders who are infallible, who make every decision correctly. Sure. I think yep. that they're looking for somebody who is authentic and human and and gets the most out of their team, but but has an opinion, right? I um, over the weekend we had Hamilton come out on Disney Plus, and so I'd I'd uh, I'd not seen Hamilton before. But one of the things that really stuck with me is is early on Alexander Hamilton talking to Aaron Burr, and the difference between I have an opinion and I want to go and do this, and Aaron Burr with well, you know, it's probably better if you smile a little bit more and keep your mouth shut and keep your opinions to yourself. I think that. It, well, it was shown back then, but I think that that's the that's the difference between a leader who's going to be completely ineffective and and one who's going to have a team that's willing to march through and be successful. Yeah, it's almost like the active leader versus the passive leader. The active leader out there having that opinion, as you say, versus the one just smiling a little bit more and not really being effective at all. Yeah, right, right. Mm, and, yeah. And, and now there are some things that I think maybe over rotate during this time frame. I was just talking to a. a, a uh, a client who's a CIO of a hotel chain here in Dallas. And the conversation we were having was, well, do you think that this that sense of urgency is actually going to improve decision-making? Because it looks like there's much more, there's urgency to make the decisions. People are making the decisions and going and executing them quickly right now. And he had a, a fascinating counterintuitive view on that, which was, Yes, it's probably in the short term helping make uh, the decisions that you need to make. And at the same time, if we lose the opportunity to collaborate with our teams so that they feel like they're part of that decision making, then maybe we've lost something. So there are some things I think that come from leadership during this phase that are just for crisis leadership rather than leadership in general. and And that might be one of them. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 